Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. Well, we're nearing the end of our series called Finishing Strong. And we said it's not how you start, it's how you finish. You can have a crummy part-time life and then get it together. And some people start really great and they don't finish. Well, we've been looking at that theme. Now, today's theme is about how to shipwreck your life. This one's not really a shouting message, uh, a really feel-good message, but it's truth. So I'll do my best to make it as upbeat as I possibly can. Let's look at our text we've been using, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. Here's what Paul says. He says, remember that in a race, everybody runs, but only one gets the prize. So you, believer, must run in such a way you will win. I want to win in life. Don't you be a good loser. You get back up if you've fallen. I just watched a video a few minutes ago on an a, a Olympic racer who fell during the hurdles, got up, and won. And I'm thinking, I've seen so many of those where it looks like total disaster, but he finished strong. You can too. You can recover. You can get up. You can, you can live again. There's life after divorce. There's life after a failure because of the grace of God. That's called good news. I love it. So he says, run that you may win. All athletes, he says, practice strict self-control. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we believers, we do it for an eternal prize. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I'm not like a boxer who misses his punches. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to other people, I might be disqualified. So we said that all of us are in a race, and we also said how we finish is way more important than how we start. So a lot of people start to race good. God's given them wonderful grace. They've got a little purpose and destiny and they don't finish well. They start good, look pretty good, and don't finish. And then some people we gave up on, looked like they're a total wreck, end up finishing strong. We said that most people get ambushed, and we looked at some of the common ambushes the enemy uses on people. He hadn't changed them since he was created as an archangel. And the reason he doesn't change his methods, they still work really good. That's about you know, why change it when it's working so good? Now look in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 25, and I'm reading out of the message translation. It's really blunt. He says, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for all that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life to God is vigorous and requires your total attention. Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practice sincerity. Chances are they're out to rip you off some way or another. 
Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preaches is, the, is not the main thing. See, who preaches are, is the main thing. Who I am, who you are, is the main thing. He goes on to say, it's not what they say, it's who they are. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. Put that on your refrigerator. Knowing the correct password, saying, Master, Master, isn't going to cut it, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience, just doing what my Father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message, we bashed the demons, our God-sponsored projects had everybody talking, and do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourself important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living are the foundational words, words to build a life on. Well, that's pretty cool. So nobody noticed this kid named David. He's caring for his daddy's sheep on the backside of the hills outside of Bethlehem. But the great prophet Samuel, who was called to anoint a king who didn't know David from anybody, saw something in David nobody else saw. He saw not only potential, but the future king of Israel. And Samuel anointed this young man on the spot in the presence of his astonished family. By the way, his own father didn't pick David to come to meet the prophet in the search of a king. He had seven brothers. He was the eighth, left out in the backwoods for some reason, not seeing any potential in him. And I've thought about this many times, that when God chooses somebody, he often chooses from the back of the line, the eighth born, not first, the last. So don't give up on yourself or your kid, right? So <laughs> he wasn't even noticed. And even then, it wasn't until years later they began to see greatness in this youngest son of Jesse. It's always a tragedy when the parent overlooks the potential of his own child. Jesse was raising the future king of Israel and didn't have a clue, didn't have a vision to see it. Don't make Jesse's mistake. See, a major leader of the next generation could be running around your house putting gray hair on you right now. Make sure you take good care of that kid. And the kids that are going to be future entrepreneurs, run corporations, maybe take some political edge for the good of a state or the nation or somebody in spiritual ministry, if they're going to be aggressive and bring change, they are not going to be passive kids. So the fact you think you need some kind of a drug to calm down your kid, maybe you don't. Maybe it's just a foretaste of what's coming in their future and in God's call on their life. They can be a lot of trouble, these young stallions running through your house and make you want to tear your hair out, make you think you did something wrong. No, God put them in your stable to train them and do the best with them. David started out with a flash. He came out of the starting blocks like a greyhound dog after a rabbit. And if there was anybody who looked like 
they would finish strong, it had to be David. David looked like a sure thing to finish strong and go the distance. In the first 10 chapters of 2 Samuel, David could do no wrong. He's never defeated in battle, never wrong in judgment. He begins his reign in prayer, and he continues in faith. The nation of Israel is now unified. The capital city, Jerusalem, is secured, and the nation's boundaries are extended from 6,000 to 60,000 square miles under David's rule. But in chapter 11, David becomes a shipwreck. Now, remember, this message is just a little slap in the face to keep us all sober because all of us can be distracted. All of us can let hidden sin get in our life and shipwreck us. And God's just saying, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to judge you. I want to spare you a lot of pain. I want you to finish well, and I want to get to you before you wreck your life. That's kind of what this is about. But David becomes a shipwreck. He commits adultery with Bathsheba and even has her husband killed. This this is the guy God says has a heart after my heart. A Christian can, I, I remember a theologian in a seminary, Judson Cornwall, was asked this question, can a Christian have a demon? And I never forget what he said. He said, a Christian can have anything he wants. <laughs> You're capable of doing anything. All of us are, because we still live in a flesh body. So these are just cautions for all of us. So before this shipwreck with Bathsheba, all David ever knew was triumph. But after the shipwreck, all he knew was heartbreak and a lot of trouble. So his life was never quite the same again. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Cling tightly to your faith in Christ, and always keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences, and as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Keeping a good conscience means you know what's right and you choose to do what's right. What caused David to become shipwrecked was he knew what was right and he put it aside. He put aside a good conscience because he had one. He willingly chose to do what was wrong. Sometimes Christians just irk me. And forgive me, be, be patient with me. But sometimes, and Lord, please forgive me for my unknown sins. I'm sorry, I have never committed one of those. Every sin in my life was premeditated, intentional. Yeah, I knew it. And you're a liar to say if you don't. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. And that's just honest to God truth. I don't know where that religious thing came from, our, our unknown sins. Shoot. <laughs> Give me a break. Well, shipwrecks don't just happen, do they? They're usually the result of a lot of practice, a lot of compromise. And I remember in nautical history, there are three inescapable consequences of being shipwrecked. Number one, shipwrecks take you farther than you wanted to go. Number two, shipwrecks keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And oh God, this thirst when shipwrecks can cost you more than you wanted to pay. As far as we know, when David shipwrecked, he never got wet. David had a dry shipwreck. So if David never got wet, how did he actually shipwreck? Well, David shipwrecked by watching somebody else get wet, uh, Bathsheba. 
You're slow, but you're coming with me. All right. Second Samuel chapter 11. Here we go on the story. Verse 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent his commander Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday nap, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. I told you men were visual, didn't I? He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. He had just complete, she, excuse me, she had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, by the way, this wasn't the same day. David had been carrying on with Bathsheba a long time after this. This was an ongoing affair a long time. Well, she now discovers she's pregnant, and she sends David a message saying, I'm pregnant. And you can imagine what David's thinking. So let's look at, take, take a look at David's shipwreck for a minute with his life and compare it to the most famous shipwreck of all time, the great ship Titanic. See, the plight of the Titanic has got to be one of the most famous shipwrecks in all of world history. And the sin of David with Bathsheba is probably the most famous moral shipwreck in history. And they both have some things in common right? The Titanic left port on April 10th, 1912 with 2,200 passengers on board. And despite its size, the best technology of the day, it sunk in the North Atlantic after only five days at sea. And it took with it about 1,523 people to an icy grave, two and a half miles, 13,000 feet down in water. But Titanic's disaster like most of them, didn't have to happen. Titanic had been repeatedly advised of ice conditions at or near her position, but those warnings were repeatedly ignored and never delivered to the captain or to others in the chain of command. By the way, when somebody shipwrecks, they didn't run a stop sign. They probably ran 20. That is a fact. Why? Because God is very gracious and patient and long-suffering. And there were warning and there were little things that were said and done or a friend. Get in your friend's face if it looks like they're headed somewhere. Now, I know we're talking about women here with David, but it could be embezzlement in a company. It, it could be an addiction to some uh, amphetamine of something that could cost you a job, a marriage, family, could cost you way more than you want to pay. It could be anything like that, but it's being done kind of privately behind the scenes. So God is very loving towards you and will give you some repeated warnings in order to save you. He doesn't want to destroy you. So in actuality, the Titanic shipwreck before she ever hit that iceberg, because she ignored the warnings that had been repeatedly, repeatedly given of imminent danger. David shipwrecked morally years before he ever saw Bathsheba in that bathtub. 
You know, his life had been taken on water and getting lower and lower in the ways for a long time. Now listen to Deuteronomy. This will tell you how I know. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14 through 17. God says, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I'll set a king over me like all the nations around, you shall surely set a king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord has forbidden you ever to go that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. So God didn't want Israel, or any of us, to trust in horses and chariots because they were commonly used in battle. They were the sign of strength, okay? So he wanted Israel to trust in him. And David followed God's command about not multiplying horses. In fact, he wrote Psalms 20 that says, some trust in chariots and some in horses. That's the strength of man. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. So that part of the command, old David obeyed explicitly. But the second part of Deuteronomy 17, David chose to ignore. David had an easier time with horses than he had with women. Yeah, silence baffles me. Yeah. And this becomes the basis for shipwreck. David willingly chose to ignore that clear command. Okay, please be gracious to these Old Testament people because the culture was different. It was different, okay? You can't read as an American 20th century, 21st century into something in a completely foreign culture. And, and you have to understand that uh, nobles and kings of different countries and nations would sometimes, as gifts to the king, would bring uh, beautiful women uh, for their harems as, a, as an honor to the king. Now, I've never had anybody bring me any of that, but <laughs> I did get a food coupon to a restaurant, but anyway, are y'all okay? Can, come on. You, you, you kind of got to get into the story just a little bit. But I wanted you to know these come from pagan countries as, as honor, as uh, to, you never went before the king without a gift. And so they would often give these women. Well, they're pagan women, so you can figure out that they're, with their beauty and seductive spirit, they're each one going to woo the king and probably lead him to do some pretty stupid stuff. Men, men, <laughs> men are easily moved to do pretty dumb things when they get seduced. They, it's just part of being a male, and you've got to be real careful. But the point is, they turned his heart away from God. These were not beautiful, God-loving women that came in. They came from all these different countries. Now, does that make a little bit of sense, how they turned their heart away? So David eventually had eight wives. Some scholars think he had as many as 12. He also had 10 concubines. And by his eight wives, he had 21 sons and one daughter. He had even more children by his 10 concubines. I mean, these dudes are active, okay? <laughs> Bye. I can't handle one. I don't know. I, don't, I just can't imagine. By, by ignoring God's command to be a one-woman man, David ends up with a large, very messed-up family that he would live to regret. 
David passes this polygamy spirit to his son Solomon, who took 700 wives and 300 concubines. So one, one takeaway today would be don't marry a 1,000 women. You're going to be on your way to finishing strong. See? And so Scripture writes this epithet about Solomon's life in 1 Kings 11. And his wives turned his heart away from the Lord. Man, that's scary. That's tragic. So God's Word has a way of proving itself literally true, not only in the blessing parts, which we really like, but also in the warning parts we don't like so much, okay? So for years, David had been compromising God's direct order concerning his physical desires and pleasure in his life. God said, don't multiply women, and David willingly and purposely disobeyed. So, I could ask this question, are you a polygamist this morning? It means to be many wived or many husband. Do you have other wives to satisfy your uh, physical desires? See, wives or husbands like pornography, sexually explicit websites. See, in order to get a sexual kit, David would just marry another wife. And today, you don't have to marry another woman or a man to get an illicit, uh, intimate thrill that these women are waiting in full-color magazines, in video, on cable, or on the internet, right? Or only fans and, and make that money. My wife said she'd never heard of that, only fans. And she says, how do you know? I, I said, I listen to the people out in the coffee shop. Okay. I better get out of this ditch quick. So these illicit wives will bear you a lot of children, just like David had children by the name of shame, guilt, condemnation, and often humiliation. If you don't put away these other wives now, you're going to put yourself on a course just like Titanic and just like David. But you also need to know it's not too late to change course. You don't have to keep bearing towards those killer icebergs. You can hit full stop, left full rudder, and get the heck out of Dodge. Flee fornication, Scripture says. So it's not the end of the rope if you're listening to me today and you're involved with people outside of your marriage or you're involved. God's patient, kind, and long-suffering, but He doesn't want you to destroy your life or your future. He still loves you, of course but you can still pull out of this deal. Well, I've gone so far. I've made too many mistakes. No, you have not. You can't go so far. The grace of God can't keep you. You cannot, but you need to sober up and say, before I do irreputable damage to others or my children or my life in future, I need to get out of this thing. And that's when you need a good friend. That's when you need somebody to get in your way so you don't have a shipwreck. You know, tell your spouse if you can, tell your small group leader, tell a trusted friend you can't con, but confess that weakness in your life. And we're talking with David about women, but it could be about your addiction. It could be about your temptation with money. It could be some sort of a criminal felony that you're part of in government that could cost you your career, your family, and put you in federal prison. And that's happened to a few people I've known. But confess it. James 5, verse 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Well, healed of what? Well, it could be your lust for other wives or your addiction or your craving of money or fame. 
something that's eating your lunch and will cause you not to go the distance and not finish well. Okay? And all people will remember, it and all the good stuff you did, all they'll remember is the fall. That's it. If you say Nixon, all you think about is Watergate. But there were some good things in there with different presidents and different leaders, but you always remember the finish. So remember, sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you a lot more than you want it to pay. Well, let's take a look at all three of those, and then we'll stop. Number one, sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. Titanic's captain, Edward Smith, was 59 years old. He was in good health. This was to be his last voyage before retirement. Captain Smith only wanted to go as far as New York, but due to the shipwreck, he went a lot farther than he wanted to go, about 13,000 feet down in an icy coffin in the sea. He didn't plan to go that far. See, he had traversed these lanes by ship very often, and shipwreck will take you further than you wanted to go. When David stood on his roof watching that beautiful Bathsheba undress and bathe, pleasure was the only thing on his mind. David had only planned for a discreet evening of adultery. Yet within weeks, he's now guilty of betrayal and murder and a cover-up. Sounds like a Washington, doesn't it? But that was a road he never planned to go that far. Didn't plan it at all. Sin takes you further than you want to go. David didn't plan to flush his life down the toilet. He just wanted a night of pleasure. David was pretty clever, thinking cunningly. When Bathsheba sent word she's pregnant, David summoned her husband home, Uriah, from the battlefield. Now, he's thinking, this is cool. He'll go home, have a great meal, intimacy with his wife, and nobody will ever know. The difference is that covenant man, Uriah, wouldn't go home. He stayed right on the doorsteps of King David. He said, I'm not going to indulge my wife or wine or food, no matter what, because my men are on the front line in battle. How could I enjoy myself while they're at the war? So this is a good man. And all through the scriptures after Bathsheba's mentioned, she's never mentioned again, but David killing Uriah the Hittite is mentioned over and over again. That really was the last straw with God. You killed a covenant man who's better than you are. And the difference? David made the classic mistake men make and have made for thousands of years. He thought he could use deception to cover disobedience. But it never works out. It only gets worse. Sin always takes you further than you wanted to go. David only planned to go as far as an exit marked adultery. But his deceit took him all the way to murder. Wow, that's a big jump, folks. Here's what I know. If you play with hidden sin constantly, continuously, over time, it will eventually come out. But you've got an accelerator and you've got a brake. And when it comes to sin, hit the brake pedal. Stop now. Don't throw a lot of your life away. Don't do that. Get a bumper sticker out in our bookstore that says, I break for hidden sin. <laughs> it's a good warning. If you don't, you're going to find yourself a lot further down the road of destruction than you ever planned on going. And it's so agonizingly tough to come back. Now, God is gracious and God is merciful and God will forgive you. But there's a lot of things that won't come back together. 
Secondly, sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Captain Edward Smith ordered women and children first into the lifeboats. And Mr. and Mrs. Lucian Smith were arguing together about being separated when Mr. Smith convincingly told his wife, this ship is thoroughly equipped and everybody on board will be saved. And with that assurance, Miss Smith got in the lifeboat without her husband and she never saw her husband again. Shipwrecks can keep you a lot longer than you intended to stay. The passengers of the Titanic had been deceived into believing that every possible safety feature and every safety measure had been taken. But as a result, over 1,500 people were kept longer than they wanted to stay because the crew ignored repeated warnings of danger. I wonder if God's talking to you. Just a little warning. No big slap in the face, but just some warnings. And I I just say, don't be presumptuous. Don't push it. All right? Adam Clark was a sales clerk in London of fine silk to the upper class. One day, his boss showed him how he could increase sales and profits by subtly stretching the silk as he measured it out. And young Adam Clark looked at his employer, looked him straight in the eye, and he said, Sir, your silk may stretch, but my conscience won't. Good boy. And by the time David had sinned with Bathsheba, that dude had been stretching his conscience for years. You know, you can really dull that thing called your conscience. Well, have one. But if you just keep, if you just keep violating it and violating it and violating it and violating it, pretty soon you can just have a seared conscience. And God can't even speak to you. So for years, David continued to act like everything's cool, everything's fine. Although I've committed adultery, betrayal, and murder, everything's cool. But things weren't fine. And David kept showing up for religious services, maybe Sunday morning, Sunday night, maybe midweek, probably belonged to a small group, but he's living a lie. He was covering adultery and murder and deception. So about one year later, the chickens come home to roost. The prophet Nathan shows up with some Solomon words. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 through 7, it says, So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town, one rich, one poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from his own plate. It drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own herd or flock, He took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David became furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan says, you're the guy, you're the man. For the Lord, the God of Israel, says, David, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. See, you can only live a lie so long, and then comes the consequences. I can do what I want. I can choose what I want, but I can't choose the consequences, right? You can't do that. God doesn't want to go this far, but sin always brings consequences if and when you just refuse to correct it or repent. 
God's word is like a mirror, and David recognizes himself in the mirror. He passed judgment on himself. God had been trying to get his attention for over a year, and David wouldn't listen. Sin kept him longer than he wanted to stay. And last, number three, sin always costs you way more than you wanted to pay. Uh, I was reading in the paper maybe a couple of days ago, uh, an NFL player uh, retired now, Rob, uh, shoot, it's a Polish name, uh, Romanowski, he owned a, a nutrition company, and he was taking money out of his nutrition company and using it for personal expenses to live a good lifestyle, but not paying any tax on it because he took it deceptively out of his business. Well, the IRS did an audit, and he now owes $15.1 million. Let me tell you something. Old Rob did not plan on paying that much for that sin, that kind of cover-up. You be careful as well. See, we're talking about women with David, but it can be anything that's, got a, that's deceptive or that can come back and bite you. And he didn't want to have to pay that price. The passengers of Titanic who booked first class paid thousands of dollars to have the best. Many of them were wealthy beyond a common man's wildest dreams. Yet this trip cost every one of them more than they were willing to pay. It cost them their life. Some like Major Arthur Puchkin. He left hundreds of thousands of dollars of bonds, preferred stocks in his stateroom as it's going down, choosing extra clothing and a few oranges instead. Shipwrecks have a way of costing you way more than you ever figured to pay. Know that. You really want to pay the price. We've watched political leaders in our city, our state, and our nation lose their law practice, go to federal prison, lose their marriage and their kids and their reputation for years over embezzlement, over affairs, all kinds of stuff. We, we ought to be able to look and learn. We can be tempted, but we don't have to yield. We can say, oh, wow, but back away. They're just, I don't want to pay the price of losing my spouse. I don't want to lose my kids. I don't want to lose you. I don't want you to lose anybody. I don't want you to go shipwreck. And we'll do anything legal we can to get in your face and beg you, stop, stop, get help. Let's get into treatment. Well, I don't want people to see me there. Well, look, you want them to see you there or you want them to see you in a total disaster with the loss of everything? Get help. It is not unmanly. It is not unrighteous. It is not, it is not wrong to get help. Wherever you need help, get help. Get it. And if it's not here, you get it from a trusted source, but you get into it. If it's alcohol, if it's drugs, get in good programs that have long tenure, it's confidential, and get the help you need. We want you well. We want you to do well. You're not going to intimidate me by whatever you're involved in, and we'll do the right thing, and God will give grace, and God will rescue and deliver you out of the mouth of that lion. And the, how you finish is way more important than how you started. David ultimately confessed and repented of his sin, but he had some painful consequences that followed him, even though God forgave him. It cost him dearly when his infant son was born to Bathsheba, he died. It cost him when his oldest son, Ammon, raped his half-sister, David's daughter, Tamar. 
It cost David dearly when his son Absalom killed his brother Ammon to avenge the rape of his sister Tamar. And it cost him dearly when years later his trusted friend and counselor Ahithophel assisted Absalom in a plot to overthrow David and take the kingdom away from him. So why would Ahithophel betray David, whom he had served for years? Well, he was the grandfather of Bathsheba. No wonder Ahithophel turned on David. David was never quite the same after this adultery and murder. Before shipwreck, you could characterize David's life with triumph. After shipwreck, nothing but trouble. You can take this to the bank, no matter how alluring any sin looks. Right now, it'll wind up costing you way more than you ever wanted to pay. The iceberg that shipwrecked David was in his own heart. It was the iceberg of a cold and compromising heart that ultimately brought him down. So here's a good question, and we're done. What's the temperature of your heart? Has it gotten hard? Has it gotten cold? Has it gotten icy? Where are you just going to just keep plugging away at this illegal or immoral behavior? No. God, we're not here to be a place of condemnation, but of hope. The blood of Jesus can cleanse you of any sin. I don't know what you're involved in. I don't care. I don't know how bad it is. I don't know how low you've gone. You cannot escape or go so far to escape the grace of God. He can love you anywhere at any time, and he does love you. And his blood will reach to the highest high and the lowest low. He will cleanse you uttermost. All you have to do is come humbly and ask him. And he promises to cleanse you, forgive you, and to restore you. And he'll do that for you. So bear those consequences in mind wherever you may be. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.